glad to see him in the house of the Lord. And if you're joining us online, make sure you hit the like, subscribe, and comment. And uh, stay tuned for Pastor Jack. Um, just um, a reminder, we're going to have lunch at the end of service, and after that we're going to have a memorial service to honor Flo right around 1, 1.15. You're all welcome to stay. Um, Dr. Carter's going to read her testimony. Really excited to hear it. So you're all welcome to stay, enjoy a nice lunch, and then fellowship, and um, be Flo's family that's right over here. We're honored to have you here. So we're going to continue... In Proverbs 3, as you know, I'm, this is all going to become a book very soon, so I can't wait to hear what I have to say. God help us all. Thank you. So Proverbs 3, I'm going to read the first six verses. I'm going to encourage you to follow along. I want you, to, as you were following along, I want you to think of a, a father trying to speak to his son or his daughter to impart wisdom to them. And Proverbs 3 is an admonishment and an encouragement from the Father. So let me read these first six verses. I'm going to use the version that Moses brought down, the, new, the NASB. No, I'm only kidding. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching, <clears throat> but let your heart keep or guard my commandments. For length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. <clears throat> Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. <clears throat> Two of the most famous verses in the Bible, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight or direct your path. So let's unpack this this morning, slide three and four, <clears throat> and let's, let's dig into the scriptures. I want to encourage you as we're following along to be questioning and digging in. Be good Bereans. Take the things you're here today, go back and see if they're of the Lord. Amen? So he says in verse one of chapter three, my son... Do not forget my teaching, <clears throat> but let your heart keep my commands. And the NLT says, my child, never forget 
Never forget the things I've taught you. Store those commands in your heart. Let me ask you some questions, slide five this morning. How often do we find ourselves forgetting what we've been taught? I'm going to get personal with you this morning. I want to make us a bit uncomfortable. How often do we forget what is being taught? How does the, that hurt you and I in the way we live out our lives each day? Now, the heart he is referring to here is not that organ beating in your chest. Church, he's speaking of your inner life, your mind, your will, your emotions, the real you inside that body. I want you to notice that Solomon is admonishing his son to never forget what he's being taught. So he says, do not forget my teaching. Now that word teaching is where we get our old King James, where I should say King James, or the old Hebrew word, Torah. It's speaking about God's holy law. And then he also says, do not forget... That's the word shaka in the Hebrew. Now, this word here, it's important that we understand, has a far deeper meaning than just being unable to think or recall something, church. He's not speaking about being absent-minded here. When he uses the word forget here, it's important that we understand that the idea is more about disregarding the commandments and following and chasing after other gods. That's that word shaka. You're not just forgetting this, you're disregarding those commandments, those Torahs, and you're chasing after other gods. Look at slide six. We'll see that word again in Deuteronomy 8.11. Beware that you do not forget, you do not disregard the Lord, Yahweh, your God, by not keeping His commandments and His ordinances and the statutes which I'm commanding you today. And then in verse 19 of Deuteronomy 8, he says... It shall come about if you ever forget or disregard Yahweh your God and you go after other gods and you serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish. You know, church, this, this defiance against God, this disregard for what He's clearly taught us in His Word, that usually grows out when one's needs are not satisfied. Think about what makes you and I disregard God's teachings. And I know this is, as my father would say, hard to fit in the air, but we need to have the scriptures, scriptures grapple with us. What causes you and I to wander away and chase after idols and the things in the world? When I think about this, it has me reflecting back on what Dr. Paul Tripp said in a book he wrote called War of Words years ago. I want you to look at slide 7 and 8. It's called The Elevation of Desire. He says, A desire battles for control until it becomes a demand. The demand is then expressed and usually experienced as a need. So your desire is battling for control until it becomes a demand. That demand is then expressed and experienced as a need. My sense of need then now sets up my expectation. And my expectation, when it's unfulfilled, then leads to disappointment. Disappointment leads to some kind of punishment. You want something, but you can't get it. So you quarrel and you fight. And adultery takes place, now listen, 
It's important. Adultery takes place when I give the love I have promised to one person and I give it to someone else. Amen? Scriptures are very clear. And Solomon wants his son to never disregard the teachings of Scripture. He says, if you ever forget, if you ever disregard what Yahweh your God is saying, and you're going after other gods and you serve and worship them, you're going to perish. You know, church, do you ever notice when things are going well and we have that money, that not the jingling kind, but the folded kind of money in our wallets, how easily it can be to forget God? Things are going good. You're feeling all dapper. You got that check. And it's very easy for us to wander away from the Lord because we think we have all of our needs met. There's an English pastor and commentator, Charles Bridges, says this, slide nine. The heart is the first thing that wanders from the Lord. And interestingly enough, it's the first thing that returns. So as I reflected on these verses of Scripture, it led me to think about what a wandering heart looks like in my own life and in your own life. And I want to take one more look at something else that Dr. Tripp said in a different book called A Quest for More, slide 10 and 11. <clears throat> he says this, The more I live with the meeting of my needs as my central focus of concern, the more the things in my life get defined as needs. Interesting, isn't it? <clears throat> Little kingdom living turns life into this endless search for earthly treasure and an unending focus on my personal needs. Ouch. Sin is about wanting my own way, in my own way, and in my time. Interesting, isn't it? Slide 11. My allegiance to my own kingdom is deep in the DNA of my sin nature, and that causes me to be self-centered, self-righteous, condemning, and impatient. Church, have we ever been self-centered, self-righteous, condemning, or impatient with other people? It's getting quiet in here, Dr. Carter. I know what I want, and I know what will make me happy. I have a vision for what my life could be like, and you're constantly getting in the way of the plans and purposes of my kingdom. Boy, he spells it out there. Boom, right in. Now you can see why Solomon did not want his son to disregard the teachings of Scripture, the, the Torah, the law, in his own life. Amen. Slide 12. Ask yourself, church, what are the things in your life right now and in my life right now that so easily can find us wandering away from the Lord? Think about your own life the past week or two. What would be the things that are there that are going to derail you and cause you to start wandering away farther and farther from the Lord? Especially if we're not getting our needs met on our timetable. How does defiance against God, how does it reveal itself in your life? How does it show up in your life? Here's a father talking to a boy that's maybe 17 or 18 years old, Solomon's son at the time, and he's saying, son, listen, I'm admonishing you. Don't forget the teachings. Don't let them fly out the door. Don't disregard them when you have other things that you want in your life your way. Hear me this morning. What's being shared in the Word of God this morning is not Solomon's personal opinions 
or a set of his ideas. No. What is being taught to a son is coming directly from God. Directly. No portion of Scripture is any of anyone's own private interpretation. For holy men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. So you've got to remember, Solomon's mouth became the mouthpiece for him to now spill out of his mouth the word of God, the Torah, to his son and says, don't forget this. Don't forget this, my son. See, Solomon wanted God's word to penetrate to the very core of his son's being, church. The inner, the inner man. Slide 13. How about us? Do we surrender our thoughts to be subdued by Yahweh's word? Are our minds so under the influence of God's word that we consider how we will speak and act with others? Is it influencing the way you live out each day and how you communicate with other people? Where you're not freaking out, screaming, yelling, cursing, and hurling out profanity because you feel that you've been violated. How about this one? Do we pray about the choices we make before we make them? Or do we act on emotion and impulse and then buy things that we don't really need or should have? Solomon says, goes on to say to his son, Son, don't forget my, my Torah, my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. That word keep is important. The Hebrew the word is nostah. The idea of keeping is to guard, to carefully watch over. So what does Solomon want his son to guard and carefully watch over? I like how John Kitchen spells it out, slide 15, in his commentary. He says this, The heart is the center and seat of one's inner life, including your mind, emotions, and will. <clears throat> so the Word of God, look at this, is to penetrate, subdue, and reign in every cognition of our brain, reign in every flame of passion, Reign in the tongue of temper that leaps from the fire of our affections. Every choice both contemplated and embraced. Such unilateral submission of the I am to God's word requires the constant vigil be kept over my heart. And that's exactly what Solomon wanted his son to do. Watch over your heart diligently, son. Keep an eye on it. Guard it. We have a thousands of voices every day here in our 21st century trying to bid for control of our minds to shape and think the way we are. That's why social media, listen, can be toxic. Toxic, church. Why do we spend hours and hours and hours on Facebook scrolling around and we can't give God five minutes in His Word? We should be ashamed. How about verse 2? What are the results or the outcome if Solomon does this? Or his son does this? He takes, listens to his dad. For length of days, years of life, peace they will add to you. <clears throat> the NLT says, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Length of days and years of life. Well, church, those who walk in obedience with the Lord generally, not all the time, but generally live longer lives. I like how the preacher's outline in the Sermon Bible puts it in slide 18 and 19. Those who keep God's commands, now listen to this, this is powerful. 
Those who keep God's commands spare their bodies and souls the physical and emotional diseases that contribute to an early death. Boy, that's right on truth there. Well, how do we back that up, Pastor Jack? I'm so glad you asked. How about slide 19? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know that your body, your soma, is the temple, the naos of the Holy Spirit, who is where? Where is he at? He's in you. Whom you have or receive from God, and that you're not your own. We keep thinking that we're our own. But we were bought by God's precious blood. And it's interesting because, and I've taught you this before, that word temple there is not the Hurion. It's not just the general temple where they had the court of, you know, uh, the inner court, outer court. That word there is the Greek word naos. That is the center of the temple called the Holy of Holies. Why is that significant here? Because they would understand what he's saying here. Well, the naos, the Holy of Holies church, was the place where the priest would go in once a year, take the blood from a spotless lamb, and douse it on to the Ark of the Covenant with a hyssop branch. And the Holy Spirit would come and take that as a covering for Israel's sins. It was the holiest place in the temple. He's not saying you're the outer court, the court of the Gentiles. He's not saying anything about the temple. He's talking about the inner court. He's talking about the holiest set-apart place in the temple. And, and, and Paul is saying, don't you understand, don't you know that your body is the naos for the high yasnuma, the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who dwells in you. You have him from God. He's not there in that temple anymore. He dwells in every single believer. So if you were a born-again, blood-washed Christian who's placed their faith and trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And when you got the Holy Spirit, when you came to faith in Christ, he didn't fill you two quarts low. You got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to need. That's what he says. You can see how Scripture just validates Scripture. Perhaps we can reflect on this verse this morning and think about what you and I may be doing to bring harm to this, this, this temple here. Slide 20. Here's some tough questions, but they need to be asked. Am I enslaving myself to illicit drug use? Do I need that bump of crack? Do I need the heroin? Do I need the oxycodone? Do I need to be doing and enslaving myself where I think I need these drugs to make life okay. God, the Holy Spirit, you're not enough. I'm going to go here. How about this? Am I enslaving myself to alcohol? Just one more drink and everything will be okay. One more hit of the heroin and you'll forget everything. Am I enslaving myself to gluttony? Am I overeating? Or tobacco use? Am I enslaving myself to pornography? Am I slaving myself to too much TV or video games or Facebook and TikTok and all this other stuff? What are you being enslaved by that is robbing you of all of you could, that you could have when you follow the Holy Spirit? And I know they're tough questions, but they got to be asked because my job is to preach the whole counsel of God. That's just the fluffy stuff. What would be different in your life and my life if you and I completely and totally surrendered all areas of our life to the Lord and break free from these idols of the heart that we just went through on slide 20, what would be different if I had 
on, on such an intense walk with the Lord that those other things were just a joke. Because all they are are tools for Satan to derail you from everything that God wants you to be to serve him. Solomon finishes up and says, listen, if you do these things, peace, irene in the Greek, peace, they will add you. Now, I want you to take a moment and think about what comes to your mind when you think of peace. You know, the Hebrew word that Solomon uses here is the word shalom or shalom. Somebody greets it as shalom. As it is used here in scripture, that word shalom means the absence, now listen, the slide 21, the absence of strife and hostility, well-being, church, free from lacking, inner contentment, being at rest. You see the stuff on slide 20, the drugs, the booze, the gluttony, TV, fate, all that stuff, that is not the opposite of peace. Your mind is constantly reading, working, going through it. But here, Solomon says, son, if you follow God's word, follow God's teaching, follow God's law, you're going to have shalom. You're going to have that absence of strife and hostility, son. Your walk with the Lord is going to be a strong, healthy, vibrant walk, son. Your well-being, you're going to be free from lacking. There's an inner contentment that the things of this world can never fill. Why, church? Listen, it's a gift from God. Solomon, as a dad, wants his son to experience the difference when he submits to doing things God's way instead of the world's way. Amen? Let me read from Kitchen again, slide 22. John Kitchen says this. The basic pattern of life is that if, if you keep God's commands, you will avoid the pitfalls and perils of seeking to walk out of step with him. You see that? Let me read that again. The basic pattern of life is that if you and I keep God's commands, we will avoid the pitfalls and perils of seeking to walk out of step with him, the Lord, and will instead enjoy the benefits of walking in step with the creator and sustainer of the universe. Isn't that pretty cool or what? Look at me at verse 3, slide 23 and 24. He then goes on with his admonishments. He says, Son, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Son, son, bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. I like how the NLT puts it. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep. I like that. Deep within your heart. Let's break this down. Solomon, what he's doing here, is really unpacking for his son ethics. The teaching of ethics. Well, Pastor Jack, what does ethics mean? Oh, I'm glad you asked that too. Look at slide 25. The Greek word ethics is the word ethos. It has the idea of the way you live your life. The way you live your life, though, by moral principles that will govern your behavior. Amen? And the way you conduct yourself. That's ethics. We have to ask ourselves, are we ethical people? Do we have moral principles that govern the way that we communicate and live with other people? Do we conduct ourselves the way we're supposed to? 
He says, don't let kindness and truth leave you. What does he mean by kindness? Somebody who is merciful, generous, and considerate. Truth. The Hebrew word for truth has the idea of accurate, honest, and free from deceit. Do we allow deceit to come out of our mouths, church? So look at slide 26. Based on what the text says, ask yourself, are we trustworthy people? Can, can people rely on you? If you are in a problem and you have a struggle, something, can they say, you're my friend and I can rely on you? Do we follow through with the commitments we make to other people? If I, re- if I really love that person and I really care about that person and I make a commitment to that person because I love them and care about them, do I follow through with those commitments, church? You see, Solomon is teaching his young son that these virtues should never be abandoned. But listen, these virtues should influence every choice and decision that he makes and that you and I make. Notice that there is a stark contrast to what he shared with his son. Back in when we looked at chapter 1, verse 10, 27, Solomon started this whole thing, Son, if sinners entice you, don't consent. If the drug dealer's down there and he wants you to buy and spend your paycheck on that, don't consent. If they want to go over here and rob these people, son, don't consent. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, son. How often do we find that these two virtues easily escape our minds when things don't go our way or we feel disrespected? But Solomon doesn't stop there. He says, son, bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now think with me about how beautiful a necklace that adorns a neck for a moment. Think about a beautiful necklace and how precious the jewel in that necklace could be. And because it's a beautiful necklace, and because that jewel is costly and valuable, because of that value, a woman will keep it close and she will be constantly aware of that necklace as she's wearing it. Let me share again from Preacher's Outline Sermon Bible, slide 28. The neck houses the throat, which in Hebrew, thought is the very life of a person. Mercy and truth or, unf- or, or faithfulness are to be tied to the throat <clears throat> of the very inner life of you, so that they are literally a part of the person's every breath. This, better, this is the better explanation and more accurately expressing the intent of the command. Think about it. Your neck houses your throat, which is, and your thought life is in there. So mercy and truth are to be tied to your throat, just like it's wrapped around your neck. So they're part of your breath. Let's get real for a moment. Slide 21, 29. How much does my talk express to other people that I am thankful? You know, you can be around people that complain about every single thing every day. They say they're Christian, but everything is a complaint. This is wrong. That's wrong. This doesn't go my way. That doesn't go my way. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Where's the spirit of thankfulness? How, how, How often is grumbling and complaining 
a part of my everyday conversation with other people. I don't know, Dr. Carter, it's getting quieter in here. So what, what happens to the way I start to talk when other people sin against me? What, what happens to my talk when things don't work out the way I want them to work out? Think about what we just read. The neck houses the throat. Mercy, truth, and faithfulness are to be tied to the throat so that they are literally a part of every person's breath. Solomon goes on to say in slide 30, write them on the tablet of your heart. That word in Hebrew, the word kathab, means to engrave or to inscribe, church. Your heart and your mind are the tablet that is to be engraved with the very living, breathing word of God. Kathab this word into your heart so that it is part of every breath that you speak to other people. That's what the text is telling us. Hear me this morning. God's word, if I could teach you anything, hear this this morning, I beg you. God's word, not Facebook, not Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or your television, hear me this morning. God's word must be inscribed, written down in our hearts and our minds. And how does that happen? Through the constant reading and meditating on the scriptures daily and then applying what you've learned to your life. You don't, I don't have a whole lot of time left here. And sin generates consequences. I want to encourage you to get into the Word of God. I'm not asking you to spend 17 hours a day in it. But I'm asking you to spend time in it each day. And then say, what is it saying to me, Lord? What are you trying to say to me? And pray. And if it becomes a habit, it's going to start to reshape like it did in my mind. It reshapes the way that you see the world and everything. And the more you get in the Word, the more you can see the ugliness and the vile, toxic garbage being spewed through social media. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. God's word is the life of God's people. So this begs the question, how do we learn the word of God? I want to show you right now, because I know you're excited about it. I can see the joy on your face. (laughs) Slide 31 through 34. How do we learn the word of God? Well, first and foremost, we are to receive it. Well, where does it say that, Pastor Jack? I'm glad you asked again. Acts 17, 11. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word, not like, oh, i got to read my Bible again this morning. Oh, Facebook's got all this. They received the word with what? Great what? Eagerness. The very God that gives them life and breathes life into their lungs. That they recognize they want to hear from Him. Not Oprah. They want to hear from Him. With great eagerness. And they examine the what? The Scriptures daily. So we're to receive it. And examine it daily. How about 1 Thessalonians 2.13? For this reason, we also constantly... Thank God. There's that verb. There's the participle in the end. Constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, 
You accepted it not as the word of man, but for what it really is, the word of God, which is also able to perform its work in you who believe. God's word is not a coffee table dormant book that you blow the dust off of. If you read it, study it, digest it, chew on it, it will perform. Another action word. It will perform its work in you who believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God? Amen. Second, pray for the light to be able to understand it. So first you have to receive it. Examine it for what it really is. Pray for the light to be able to understand. Slide 33. <clears throat> Psalm 119. Open my eyes that I may behold the wonderful things from your law. Isn't that powerful? Lord, open my eyes. Open my mind, Lord, that I may be able to behold and actually see the wonderful things from your law. Ephesians 1.17 That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of what? What's it say? Wisdom, Sophia. And what? Revelation in the knowledge of Him. There you go. Pray, Lord, open my eyes. <clears throat> Lord, give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of who you really are. Man, the deeper you get in the Word of God, the more, I mean, just the omnipotence and the omnipresence and the, um, you know, how potent and powerful God is. Do you realize that God is everywhere at the very same time? If you go to the farthest parts of the galaxies and solar systems, He's 100% there like He's 100% right here. God is in 15% here and 85% there. He's everywhere all at the same time. Here's another thing. He's omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning all at the very same time. Why would we want second-rate garbage wisdom from the television talk show host when you've got the very God that knit you in your mother's womb? His word's right there. Think about what makes the other stuff win and this loose. So, pray for the light to be able to understand it. And then finally, verse thir slide 34, seek and study the words of Scripture with the same desire that people seek after gold and silver. And this is what Solomon wanted for his son, church. Seek and study the words of Scripture with the same desire that people seek after gold and silver. Psalm 119, 162. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. <clears throat> wow. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. He's not talking about lottery tickets. He's not talking about wanting to bounce and ball on the screen with the numbers. Oh, oh, oh. No, he's not talking about that. I rejoice at your word as one who finds great spoil. How about John 5.39? You search, literally in the Greek, you investigate the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these scriptures that you're investigating that testify about me. How about slide 35? 2 Corinthians 2.15 Study. Be diligent to present yourself as someone who's approved by God. 
a workman who's not ashamed, who rightly handles correctly the word of truth. So a lot of cults out there that want to deny the deity of Christ. Stay away from them. They're heresy. They're heresy, church. So here we see the result of living out the kindness and truth in our lives. We see the ethics that he taught them. Solomon says, you will find favor and good repute. Favor. What does that mean? Son, the results of doing this, you're going to find graciousness and acceptance and preference. Hebrew word is tob sekel, graciousness, acceptance. Church, the good repute here has this idea of insight. Be, you're, you're, you're careful in the ways that you make decisions so that people say you got a good reputation because you make good decisions. You're not making them on impulse, church. You're making them because you've correctly inculcated the word of God into your life. So now this word guides the decisions you make before you make them. And people will recognize that in your life. And they recognize very quickly when you make bad decisions, don't they? Funny how that is. In the sight ayin, in, in the eyes or the face of people, you will find good repute in the sight. Ahian. I like what Bruce Walkie says about this on slide 39. <clears throat> Walkie says this, in the ancient Near East, favor is shown on the face by a look in someone's eyes. Today, modern people look instead to the smile. So to put this together, we can say that these rewards of favor, being accepted, having somebody that has a good reputation, having wisdom in the way that person makes decisions, are actually recognized by both God and man. Think about how you'll grow. You realize that if you read, and I'll say it again until I drop over, one chapter of Proverbs a day, at the end of the year, you will have read every chapter at least 12 times. Think about how the Word of God would reshape the way you think, act, and behave when you're with people. And then, slide 40. Listen, we only have about four hours to go. You're fine. No, I'm kidding. We're almost done. Two verses. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord, Yahweh. That's a beautiful name, Yahweh. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Can you see from verse 1 up how he's built and built and built up to this point? Trust in the Lord. Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on a cane that gives you the appearance that that cane will hold you up. And when you lean on it, it snaps and then you drop. Let's make sure we understand what did Solomon mean when Solomon used these words here. What does he mean when he uses the word trust? I don't want to be an eisegeter and take 21st century thinking and drill it down in the text to fit my narrative. I want you and I to go down in the text and draw it out so that we can apply that to our lives. Trust, baltak. What does it mean? It means to place confidence in, hope in, insurance in, relying on. 
It expresses the feeling of safety and security that is felt when you can truly rely on someone. Ask it. If the people that know you and I were pulled aside and they said, can I trust so-and-so? Can I rely on that person? Can I be assured that that person will follow through with their commitments? Right? Can I feel safe and secure that that person has my best interest at heart? Ball talk, trust. Look at slide 42. The object of the wise person's trust in the Lord, Yahweh Jehovah, the covenant-keeping God, the God who cannot lie. At this point, Solomon, that's the father, emphasizes keeping the commandments of God. He's instructing his son not to focus his trust in the law, but in the God of the law. God is trustworthy because of who he is. Yahweh is his personal name. It is the name by which he revealed himself to Moses and the children of Israel. Yahweh. And then slide 43. I love this. Look at this church. I try to put the names of God in this verse for you. Look at it up on the screen. Exodus 3.13. Then Moses, Moses said to Elohim, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, Elohim of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? <clears throat> Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am. And he says, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, Jehovah Yahweh, the God, the Elohim of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has sent me to you. Amen. This is my name forever, and this is a, my memorial name to all generations. Thank you. Don't ever catch yourself taking the Lord's name in vain. Why would you want to use Yahweh's name as a profanic curse word? Amen. Slide 45. What does El Elohim mean? When he says, Moses said to God, to Elohim, the all-infinite, all-powerful God, Elohim. Yahweh, meaning Lord Jehovah. El Elyon, he is the most high God, church. Adonai, he is our Lord and our Master. El Roy, he is the God who sees me. He is the God who sees you. El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, the God of inexhaustible resources. And El Olam, he is the everlasting God of eternity. He is the inventor and creator of eternity. They are the names of the very God that we serve. There's no other gods before him. There's no other gods beside him. There's no other gods after him. There is only one true living God who's revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, a triunity, one nature spilled into your life and my life throughout the words of Scripture. So let's always remember his name and that we can trust in, rely on, and have confidence in Yahweh our Elohim. He is our El Roy. He is the God who sees us. When you are hurting, 
broken, struggling to the very core of your being, don't forget that He sees you. Amen. His word is truth and never lies. Amen. And Solomon says, this Elohim, this Yahweh, this Elyon, you are to trust Him with all your heart. You are to have a complete confidence and insurance in Him. Not halfway, not partially in. You're either all in or you're not. There should be a complete, total trust in Yahweh. Hear me. Man must not have confidence in himself. He must not have confidence in his own righteousness. He says, son, don't lean on your own understanding. It's an all-in, total commitment being sold out to Christ, church. Leaning here, like I said earlier, is like leaning on a broken crutch. So what does he mean by leaning here? In the Hebrew, that's what the idea is in the Hebrew. To lean on something means that you're trusting or relying on that thing you're leaning on to support you. So Solomon is saying, don't lean on your understanding. Don't lean on a cane that gives you the appearance that that cane is something you can trust in and rely on because it will fail. It will break. It looks good. But it will break you. It will, it will not support you. You can't rely on it. He's saying your understanding is like that cane. Don't lean on it, son. Trust and rely on Yahweh. God is greater than our understanding, church. Human wisdom that comes from inside us could never begin to compare to the divine wisdom that comes to you and I directly from God. Let me finish this up real quick. We're just about done. Slide 46 and 47. He goes, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. NLT says this. Seek his will. And all you do, and everything you do, seek first his will. Seek first the kingdom of God. And those things will be added to you. Or in this verse, he will show you which path to take. He will show you whether to make this purchase or not. He will show you what to do. The word acknowledge in the Hebrew, the word yada, has the idea of this. A personal or intimate knowledge, a deep experiential knowledge. Don't miss this. In all your ways acknowledge him. In all your ways yada. In all your ways have this deep experiential, personal, intimate knowledge of who God is. All your ways, your course of life, your actions, your thoughts. Look at slide 49 and 50. We'll finish up there. I think this is Solomon being on his deathbed, but I'm not sure. It's been a while. <clears throat> As for you, my son, know the God, know the Elohim of your Father, the all-infinite, all-powerful God of your Father. Son, serve Him with your whole heart. Serve Him, son, with a willing mind. For the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, searches all hearts. He understands every intent of the thoughts. Son, he says, if you seek him, look at this church. If you seek him, he will let you find him. If you desert him, forsake him, he'll reject you forever. Church, let me close. This means that you and I are to be totally committed to Christ because he 
will make your path straight. Slide 50. He will make your path one that is upright, honest, does not go astray, does not go out of bounds. Hear me. <clears throat> if we know God personally and intimately, he will help us navigate through the rocky rudders and roads of life. When we surrender completely our lives over to Christ, walk in obedience with him, strive continually each day to know him more intimately, he's the one that's going to make our path clear for you and I to handle the challenges of life. Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you done that? If you were to die today, and today was the day you drew your last breath, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Listen, I don't care what you've done. I've said this before. I don't care what sins you've committed. I've committed so many, I can sin you all under the table. I'm telling you right now, our God is a God that forgives. He's a God that shed that crimson blood on that cross 2,000 years ago to pay your sin debt past, present, and future. If you confess with your mouth, and I've said this a million times, if you confess with your mouth, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And in the Greek, it's a present active verb. He will continually cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He's a God that loves you. He's a God that created you. He's a God in Psalm 139 that tells every one of you that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make duds. If he created you and gave you breath, Jeremiah 29, 11 says he's got plans for you. The plans are not to cower back in fear, but to trust him. I don't care how much crack, heroin, oxycotton, fentanyl, alcohol. I don't care how much marijuana you've done. I don't care. There's no sin that you could commit that God can't forgive if you confess your sin to him and surrender your life to him because he loves you that much. When he stretched out on that cross, you could write your name in those nail prints. 